It's Wednesday, September 6, 2023, and you're listening to episode 617 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games on a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 39 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Mary. This is Doug. And this is Wayne. So I was given a very important bit of information this past week, and you may think this is not a show announcement, but it is. You just may not fully understand the gravity of this. So during Fear the Con, I want to send a thanks to Eric Van Note. And if I can find his stuff online, I will link him because he's a freelance artist, does some great work. He's done some pictures of Gnarl and such. Got much love for Eric, right? So he comes over to be in the middle of Fear the Con, and he presents me this very wonderfully painted miniature of this shredded, I don't know what it was actually kitbashed from, maybe like some kind of rattling ogre or something. I'm honestly not sure. But he presented to me the model of Swolmole. And I said, Eric, I appreciate this, but the inventor of Swolmole is here because my nephew was present at the convention at the time. So I said, you need to go give that to my nephew. So at the D&D game this past weekend, I was asking my nephew, I said, do you happen to have the Swolmole figure on you? And he said, no. But he then looked me dead in the eye and declared with absolute certainty, Swolmole will return. (laughs) And he's going to keep getting more swole and more powerful each time we encounter him. This is like a doomsday thing. We're killing him just makes him more powerful. So I think eventually we're going to have to banish Swole Mole to some other plane. But I don't know what plane, because he'll just take over that plane. He'll rule the 666 layers of hell or whatever, and he's going to come back as Elminster except plausible. And <laughs> we're not going to be able to stop him. I mean, it's going to take something plot level to stop him. So I, I don't know how we contain this. I fear we may have unleashed something that we now cannot rebox. Well, yeah, it just swells out of whatever box you put it into. Yeah, I think that was really cool scene because I saw that miniature yeah. that he took time out to create it and bring it. And, and it looked really good. <laughs> when you look at it, there's like you could look at it every time and find something new on that it was so cool they had like a little candle and then the next time you notice something else he did a good job on that and above all else it's swole mole that's right the scariest of the mole people that apparently can't tell time (laughs) six months is multiple they've been here for generations that consists of like three to six months Uh, all right, if you don't know what we're talking about, that was only a handful of episodes back, which means it was probably about six or eight months ago. But nonetheless, there you go. So today we're going to talk about the value of terrible GMing, because this is something we were talking about in the creative process that I think figures into game mastery, and I guess playing as well. You could do this with the characters you're playing, but players have an advantage on the game master. And that players can disappear into a crowd, right? If there's three, four, five players, whatever there happens to be, you can lean on the other people to cover for you or to carry the game for a bit or to give you some inspiration to bounce off of. But the game master sort of stands alone in their own spotlight. 
the Gate Master is there shining a spotlight around while being under the heat lamp the whole time. Yes, yeah. yeah. The Game Master is shining a spotlight everywhere, including on themselves. And that is a difficult place to be. Because if you bring a character and it's not your A game, well, once again, you can kind of fade into the crowd. But the person that's supposed to be running this whole thing, if they don't have control of the team of horses, right, this is on display for everyone to see. And I've got going on in my current campaign about three NPCs that I pulled names out of nowhere, not realizing I was giving celebrity names. So I have three random NPCs that have names that are big, popular celebrity names that I keep getting called on in the games. And I'm like, that. I'm surprised you're getting called on those because I know your gaming group, when they're not terribly pop culture aware. So I'm kind of surprised they're even noticing. They're not modern actors and actresses. Oh, that's why. Okay. Yeah, no, they're. I was just thinking, this is like. If this yeah. is like top twenty, top like 40 one of them, hits. one of them was like Julie Swanson. Okay, <laughs> I don't even know offhand who that is, but you know who Christy Swanson yeah. is. But apparently, like I've done that three times, and it it just keeps coming back up. And it's like, okay, I need to kill those NPCs because <laughs> that was not my A game. One yeah. of them is the problem is one of them's a ghost. They're already dead. What else do I do to it? Yeah, exorcisms. Christy Swanson is the real Buffy. I don't care what anyone says. If you say Sarah Michelle Gellar, you are wrong. No, I, I I will agree that Sarah Michelle Gellar is my least favorite part of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the yeah. TV show. So Christy Swanson was far hotter. All right, but anyway, so we were talking about the creative arts in general. We were talking about writing. We were talking about drawing, and we were talking about the value of sometimes just sort of getting your bowels unplugged. So the creative process can move on. And Mary, in your case, you were talking about visual arts. Yes. And the particular reason why that was on my mind is because on Facebook, I'm a member of a few different art groups. And I guess they tolerate me in there because I'm not an artist myself, but I commission enough art that usually someone will convince them to let me stick around. And one of the things that drives me absolutely nuts And I think this is maybe because people underestimate the quality of their own work or don't know how it will be received. And we've seen that even on this show. We will release what we think is just absolute A-plus content, and the listeners shrug their shoulders. Conversely, we've released things that we thought were barely passable. We debated on canning the stuff. Yeah, we debated on canning this stuff. We were about to delete the episode because we're like, this is not up to our standard. And it becomes one of the big hits of the show. And we just can't predict this stuff, honestly. We just do what we do and what happens, happens. And I hate to sound so passive in the process, but really that's about how it works. Yeah, there's just no predicting what people will actually grab onto yeah. and, and, and engage with. And where this comes to mind in the visual arts is sometimes these artists will post their quote-unquote warm-up sketches. Now, first of all, I don't know how long it takes to do these sketches, but I have to imagine these people spent their entire creative period, you know, whole afternoon or whatever, doing their warm-up sketch. Because these, to me, didn't look like quick doodles. But secondly, it was like, dude, you color that or get someone else to color and to ink that? I would buy that as a commission off you. And this is your trash sketch to unplug your butt before you let the creative process flow free. And now, Wayne, you were talking about this in terms of writing, right? Yeah, because... A lot of times it's a case of momentum. 
you're sitting there and you just can't get started or you're sitting there and you've got a horrible idea in your head you can't get it out and it's just you need to give yourself permission to write garbage that you may never show anybody or maybe you will edit it and it'll become something good maybe it'll give you an idea that you then write something good with maybe it's just something that you have in your head that is only amusing to you and you just want to get it out but once you get it out, you've got that momentum going, and then you can do something you're proud of afterwards. Well, and sometimes the the art that you're talking about, Dan, the sketches that people throw out there just as warm-up stuff, is exactly that. It's the, this is just something that was in my brain, and I just wanted to put it on paper, and it means nothing to anybody but me, and that's the part where they're wrong. Yeah, let me start then with that particular proposition. There's a common phrase of everyone is their own worst critic. And usually we mean this to say that everyone is very hard on themselves, indeed harder than other people are. But I wonder if that phrase actually should have a slightly different meaning of we are our own worst skilled critic. Not just that we are our harshest critics, but that we are actually least well positioned to criticize ourselves. That the things we criticize, we in truth do not understand what we're producing in terms of is this good or is this bad and we assume that it falls in the wrong category that we think our grade a material is grade a when in fact it's not and vice versa we think our barely passable stuff i mean wayne let's go back to that BattleTech game that i killed because i thought it was terrible and i was in the i wouldn't say minority i was alone as the game master i was the only person at the table that thought it was terrible and I ended up canning that campaign rather than pursuing it. Now, you could argue some of that was personal passion. Fair point, different topic. Well, that's another aspect of it is we are our own worst critic because we are looking at it from the standpoint of would we want to consume it, not would the person we're presenting it to want to consume it. In that case, that was not a story you wanted to tell because we were not the type of group you wanted us to be, but we were the type of group we wanted to be. And I think that's part of it, too, where you may think you're throwing out something that's garbage out into the world, but maybe it's just not to your taste. Yeah, it's exactly the garbage that somebody else has been dying for. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I will throw out there also from the momentum standpoint, just this last week, I had a case of momentum issue of had a lot of stress lately. That particular day, I had to go down to my parents' house for an issue, and I was incredibly stressed out, and it was game time. Like, I was down there and getting ready to drive from there over to gaming, and the whole time I'm thinking, I'm just going to cancel the game. I'm not in the headspace to run it. I'm not going to put forward my best game. And I stopped and I thought, it's like, you know what? No, we've missed some games here and there. It hasn't been bad this time. Every time I go in thinking I'm not in a good space for it, once I get going, I'm in a better space. But also, gaming is my hobby that is something that I enjoy, and why am I depriving myself of the enjoyment of the session because I'm stressed and in a bad place, when that is what's going to get me in a good place. Right. And I sat down there, and I thought I was throwing out you know, garbage to begin the session, and I was doing horrible, and the players bit on it. And before I knew it, I had an incredible session that I almost canceled because I was in my own head, yeah. not willing to push myself through that momentum. Uh, that's one of the things that I've observed about art of any kind, is the moment you put it out there. And for some creators, this really drives them nuts. For me, I've always found this fascinating, is you get to see how people interact with it. 
And it doesn't matter how passive that entertainment may be. Highly branching video games, choose your own adventures. Okay, that may be one sort of thing. But I'm talking the most passive forms of entertainment. A movie, a TV show, a novel, a painting, a drawing, any of these things. At the moment you create art, people begin interacting with it on their own terms. And it is oftentimes very hard to predict how and why people will interact with the art in a particular way because you are not them and you haven't lived through what they have. You don't perceive your work the same way. One of the marks that I have taken as sort of signifying that as much as I squander whatever ability I do have, that apparently I've got something in is that when I put work out there, People latch onto things that I didn't expect. And oftentimes, I feel like they understood what I was creating better than I did. For example, in one of the Sojourn volumes, Sojourn Volume 2, I wrote a silly little poetic story kind of riffing on A Night Before Christmas that's about Gnarl killing Santa Claus and then taking over the role himself. Which you can buy on Amazon or on Audible. Yeah, you can. It's available on both Amazon or on Audible. Gnarl right. Saves Christmas. Yes, Gnarl Saves Christmas. And I'll link to Sojourn Volume 2 if you're interested in that, because there were some other great authors, including Wayne, that contributed to that book. The thing that interested me was I was talking to someone, I won't name the person, because they're not a show host, but they have been mentioned on the show before, who said that the story reduced them to tears. I'm like, why? It's a nonsense story. Uh, in fact, one of the few Amazon reviews that calls out a particular story goes off on Narl Saves Christmas. <laughs> and I love you, dude. I don't know who you are. Maybe it's the show. Maybe you don't. I, I accept that. on the. I'll take that on the chin. I wonder if maybe you didn't quite get what I was going for, but it's all good either way. Uh, but the point being, though, that so, you know, I had really low confidence in that. And then I talked to someone who said the story reduced the materials. I'm like, well, how this story was at best nonsense. It was supposed to be. At worst, it was maybe something you don't like. But at best, it was nonsense. And what this person said to me was there's a thing at the end of the story. And I, I don't want to spoil it for anyone that hasn't read it that's interested in reading it. There's a point in the story where Narl, who's a bloodthirsty, sociopathic knoll, if you've not been following the show, it's a character I played some years ago, and he's interacting with the town's impoverished. And there's a scene there that, to me, was just a throwaway of trying to give the story some kind of a cogent, happy-ish ending. And the person said to me that that reflected they're real lived experiences. Now I had no idea. That is not at all what I wrote or had in mind when I was constructing that story, right? But once you put it out there, people begin to interact with your art. So what did he did he tell you what it was that brought his uh life experience or whatever? Yes, and I don't know that I want to repeat it. Okay. Not, not because it's offensive, but just because it's not my story to tell, okay. I guess. But they, the person did explain to me what had happened in their life and why that resonated with them so heavily. But to me, it was, of all the parts of the story, that was one of the least interesting. You know, they always say, what's the worst thing that'll happen? You put something out there and people don't like it. That's not the worst thing that can happen. It's no. Not. In my mind, if somebody likes or dislikes something, I'm happy because I had an impact. My biggest fear is putting it out there and nobody cares. And that goes for GMing, that goes for writing, for anything creative that I may do or be a part of, 
my biggest fear is not like or dislike, success or failure. Forgettable. It is forgetfulness yeah. for not being worth someone's time, not being noteworthy enough to make an impact. Yeah. Yeah, this was kind of driven home to me as a, I had I had one particular painting that I did in while I was in school, and I did it for me. Like I took it was a riff on a classical piece of artwork that I'd always hated, and I I really I, I kind of reproduced it, but added an element that was completely inhuman and and crazy, and it was just for me because I had always hated this piece of art, so I wanted to like change it and make it something that I I didn't hate anymore, and it was driven home to me that. It's the emotional impact that matters, not whether that emotional impact is positive or negative. When I showed it to a completely different professor in a completely different class, and he was like, I am disgusted by this. Like, it is art because I actually have revulsion at what you've done to a classic piece of art. And I'm like, oh, this feels great. Like, you hate it and you have a visceral reaction to it. And that's all that matters. Is like, this it's the snake one. This is the snake. Okay. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking yes. about. I, it's. Yeah, I was I was actually going to use your art show because you just recently graduated with some overly torturously prolonged degree <laughs> that they kept kind of screwing you out of. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So you, you just recently graduated with an art degree that you should have had years ago. I won't get into that story, so that's kind of irrelevant to the show. But in good artist fashion, you had a private art showing and you know the cheese and wine sort of thing and. I remember as I was walking around that place, kind of explaining to you my takes on the various bits of art. <laughs> and sometimes as you came and went, because you, know, you had other guests entertain, then picking up that commentary with either Julie's husband or with your fiance of talking about the art. Like one of the ones I was terrified to touch was you made a 3D sculpture of a coiled snake, mouth open, fangs out, tongue out, prepared to strike. Out of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yes. It's a 3D Whoa. sculpture out of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Yu-Gi-Oh cards and hot glue. Those are the only yeah. two things. And it looks out and is this weird meshing of art and math because to figure out how to even make that out of nothing but just folded Yu-Gi-Oh cards. I don't think they were even cut. No, I deliberately did not. I, I restricted myself to folding and, and rolling and I did not cut or tear anything. Yeah. And so I remember walking around that place and thinking about that, because here I am interacting with art in a way that may have never been on Mary's mind and creating it. For example, there was one piece that was a pair of ballerina shoes side by side, but the particular way it looked, it was kind of visually ambiguous. And Julie's husband and I both, at a glance, thought it was a horse's hoof. And it, Which but it was, makes no sense to me, but yeah. Yeah, I, but it was, it's hard to explain because there was two shoes, one that was upright that kind of looked like a stunted horse leg with a hoof, and there was one on its side that kind of looked like a 3D printed prosthetic. And as someone who watches probably a few too many animal rehab videos on YouTube or Reels <laughs> or whatever, when I looked at that, what I thought of was the 3D printed prosthetics that people are making for various animals. And I have seen ones made specifically for horses so that the horse can continue living and not have to be put down or whatever when they are born with or an injury creates a stunted leg. And that is hilariously what Mike and I both thought it was. <laughs> and that's in both of us, when we realized it was actually 
displayed with other images. It was a series. Oh, they were it was all a series of all the same shoes. damn shoes. Yes. And for some reason, both of our dumbasses did not make the contextual connection that this picture may be a variation on a theme, to use a musical term, of all the pictures around it. We just took that one out of context as being a horse hoof. And I don't know why, but it created a beautiful but completely different piece of art. <laughs> it was about, you know, the, the care and the rehabilitation of animals and such, as opposed to being what it was supposed to be. As opposed to a pair of Jessica Simpson heels that I have worn once at a wedding and won't ever wear again, but still love. So I yeah. drew them. And <laughs> But at that moment, though, it created a bit of interaction with that art. All right, now, we've been talking about other forms of art. Let's take this back to gaming. Yeah, have you ever planned out a session just to get it out of your head, thrown it away, not used it? Because I have. My frustration has been typically the ones I most need to get out of my head. I cannot get my gaming groups to get Chad to agree to play them. (laughs) (laughs) And so they remain stuck in my head. Uh, For example, the Battletech campaign that I've been wanting to run literally for about 30 years that I've not been able to run because of the fact that usually... Someone named Chad within my gaming group <laughs> veto it. <laughs> but there are... I'm not making fun of Chad here. But, no, I mean, seriously, though, there are games that have been stuck in my head, and very rarely do I get to run them. They just remain stuck in my head like the splinter in my mind. Sometimes I and don't... maybe they'd suck. Maybe they would absolutely be terrible and my whole group would hate them. But it's like taking a dump. I need to do this for my sake. This is not about the beauty of the creation. This is just about getting it out of my system. Sometimes I don't need to actually run it. I just need to prep for it. And that's enough to get it out of my system. Because I've done that for one shots. I've had one shot ideas that I thought would be interesting. And then I prep for it and I realize, oh, no, that'd be horrible. But I've now made characters and put down the effort of thinking it through. And now I can move on to something else. I do that more often with characters, even even NPCs, where I'm like, this is a really cool character. And then I put it together and I look at it, you know, as a complete thing with stats and, and you know, all the all the background and everything. And I go, oh, no, that was a really dumb idea. Never mind. But now I can move on. OK, so, Doug, in our rotating GM West Marsh's game, you ran a game, obviously, this past Sunday. Yes, I think it was Sunday. I want you to let it grade yourself, and you can use pluses and minuses. Where do you think your game was at? Do you think it was like A plus, um, C minus? Where, where, do you, where would you put yourself? How do you think it went? I was trying a lot of new things that I never did before. I would give it a C, I guess. Okay. So as someone who played it, my take on it was it was a good, solid game, especially because of the fact that Melissa was was with me, and her first role-playing game ever was helping her kids play the animal game that I run as an intro to RPGs, the house pet game at Fear of the Con this, you know, a couple months ago here. But she wanted to try another role-playing game, both to see if she liked it, but also to see if this was something she could introduce to her kids, because her kids really liked the house pets game that I ran. And so they really wanted to do more of that kind of hobby. And now I personally would definitely rate your game much higher than a C. Oh, thank you. Because of the fact that I thought it did a lot of the staples of D&D. It had role-playing. It had storytelling. It had conversation. It had sneaking past things. It had fighting things. It had traps. It had treasure. I mean, it had like almost everything you could think of as a staple of D&D in a well-told, 
well-arranged narrative that still had a lot of player freedom and was not railroady. But let me give you the ultimate validation here, and I don't mean to just turn this into a, uh, well, insert scene term here, but I don't mean to turn this into something that's not. I'm just, this is the God's honest truth here, is my real rating of the game came from one question, which is afterwards I asked Melissa, I said, would you be interested in playing this game again or playing this type of game again? And she said, absolutely, yes. She said, by the particularly by the end, I was hooked on this. I'm really looking forward for my next opportunity to play. So, now, what you gave yourself, what, a C something on C, yeah, C minus or C plus? Just a C. A C? Okay, so flat C. You gave yourself a flat C on that? In terms of the way it was received by what I consider to be the most important bit of that audience was an A to an A+. plus. Even me as a long-term gamer, I would still put it somewhere in the A range. I'd, I'd have to think a bit to decide where I would put it between A minus A and A+, plus. but I would put it somewhere in the letter grade of A because I thought it did a great job, especially after a long hiatus, of giving us a wide variety of encounters and a wide variety of ways of solving those encounters. Yet, to you, it was a crap game. Now, let me give a different take here. Plus, before you jump into that, I just want to say, you have no idea how lucky you are right now that you actually got feedback from a player. <laughs> because after every session, I ask for feedback, and I never get legitimate feedback that gives me reasons for anything. So you're incredibly lucky. You just got real feedback. <laughs> but l- let me throw this now to something else, which is what we were talking about before the show is the value of sometimes creating artwork whether it's a game or writing or visual arts or whatever it is you do. I mean, if you're listening to the show, you do something creative. Even if it all it is is you create a character and play that character, you're creating something. Which is, what if it really is bad? What if it really isn't your best stuff? And Wayne, I want you to talk to that one because I thought you were giving some good insight on that before we hit record. So let's say it is bad. Well, part of it again is momentum. Get yourself going. But... Even without momentum, sometimes you have just this idea in your head and you want to get it out and then you write it and it's terrible. But from within that exercise of writing, you've learned something. You look at it, you see here's why it was terrible. And there are ideas in there that maybe will inspire you to do something else. A lot of times for a lot of writers, they won't know where to start a scene. So they'll just start it, get the garbage out. And it'll flow into where the scene should really start. Even if it's terrible in a way that I'm like, oh, what I learned is not to do that. You've learned something. Yeah. In one case, I wrote a story. I sat down. I had an idea. I thought it was a good idea. I wrote the story. It was terrible. And I looked at it. And I said, why is this terrible? This is terrible because it's from the wrong perspective. And I wrote the same story with the same same events, everything from a completely different perspective, a different tense. And... It was good and it was something I was proud of, but I would have never known it if I hadn't done the bad first to figure out why I didn't like it. What was wrong with it for me that I wasn't proud of it? And I think there's a lot to be said for that of just getting some of this out there to figure out why you're not happy with it. You know, and I think that's something that gets lost in a lot of creativity is sometimes there's art that's made purely for the sake of the consumer. 
there's a meme that I sent to one of my artist friends. Like I can't remember if I, Mary, if I sent it to you as well, that had two pictures and I cannot describe them in the show <laughs> that basically said what I want to draw. And then below that was a different picture says what people will pay me to draw. Yeah, yeah. You, you can guess what yeah. was in those pictures. But I think there is a value in the artist giving themselves the room to create apart from the audience. And I realize there's a unique pressure on that with things like novelizations, art that's meant for the public, things that are not, quote unquote, warm up sketches you're going to throw away, role playing games because you're theoretically GMing for or playing with a group of people that we feel this unique pressure to perform to the audience. But sometimes there is something to be said for getting something out of your system just because you needed to do it. This Battletech game that I've been wanting to run for 30 years, it may be terrible. I hope it isn't. I don't know that I'll ever get to run it. But even if I do or don't, I don't know how it will be received. And maybe it'll be received well by one group and not by another. Maybe it'll be received poorly or well by everyone. I have no idea. But the point being that I think as creators, we tend to underestimate or to devalue the worth of creation for its own sake. Yeah, I'll give another example of that. I was running a campaign. I had a big bad. They were not interacting with the big bad because the big bad was off in their tower sending their minions and the typical tropes you would expect. I didn't understand what was going on in the big bad's head that I was running. So I sat down and I wrote a short story. No one has ever seen this short story. I didn't write it to give to someone for anyone to read. I wrote it because I needed to get into the head of my NPC and I couldn't do it through role play because they hadn't gotten the introduction to this character. So I had to find another way to do it. So I wrote a short story purely for myself just to be able to flesh out that character because that's how I knew to do it. You know, this is something of an awkward metaphor, but when we speak, there are potentially more or less two parts of the brain that can be engaged. There's a higher part of the brain that does high speech, which is what I'm doing now, okay? Complicated language. There is a completely different part of the brain that cusses. It is a lower part of the brain, and even people that suffer things like strokes or brain damage, such that they can no longer speak, they can still curse. And this is, if you're curious, if you've ever seen those studies about why people who use profanity may be more honest than those that don't, it's because that part of the brain is the least filtered. And so if you're allowing it to express itself, there's no higher function of the brain that's getting in its way. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, you get really honest. And there are times that I have written things that I never even could release to the public because I'm going through kind of a rough spot mentally. I'm frustrated. I'm something. I'm something negative. And so I just write this chain of violence, profanity, slurs. I mean, it is just the most foul stuff you can imagine that is probably coming from the most reptilian part of my brain. And I I don't mean to be reductivist here. I'm just using common slang here. But it's just this raw, visceral expression. But what I found happens is on the heels of expressing that, now that that's out of the way, my brain's ready to move. That it's like a cork that was kind of holding me back. And so I, I think when we talk about bad GMing, There is the possibility that maybe the players will enjoy it in a way you didn't think they would. But there is also the possibility that maybe it does suck. 
But you have to have that catharsis. You have to have that release to allow for the good things to happen because your value in creation is, I don't care how many people there are, it is just as valuable as what the people that are consuming it get from your creation. And I think creatives tend to be so codependent on what their audience thinks that they stop creating for themselves or creating for its own sake. Now, I am not suggesting some egocentric, head up your butt, narcissistic, this is going to be great because I made it and I don't care if you like it or not. Look, there are artists, particularly contrarian artists, that I just plain don't like, and I think they could have kept their stuff to themselves. I'm not going to that extreme. My point is just that we as humans need release. And not only can we not predict how that release will be received, but oftentimes we can't predict where our heads will be at on the far side of that release. I firmly believe you learn more from failures than you do success. You learn from both, but I think you can learn more about what doesn't work than what does. And if you're so afraid of putting something out there that sucks, be that you don't want to run a game session because you don't think you're feeling your best, maybe that's when you really need to run a game session to see what does your not best look like. Learning happens when you know you did something that didn't work. Like, no matter what you're trying to learn, it's, it's a process that involves, if you did it perfectly the first time, you don't learn anything. You have to, you have to mess up. You have to just throw something out there and then figure out what was bad about it and then do it differently the next time. Or sometimes the imperfections can be part of the artwork as well too. And it may never be perfect, but it still doesn't mean that it's not good. Yeah. You know, Doug, to the point here, I want to not name names, but you probably know who I'm referring to. Within our West Marches game, and we've been running that for, I guess, a couple of years now. I mean, and not a super long Since time. Since the pandemic. Yeah, so I mean, it's been three, four, I don't know. It's been a couple of years now. I, I don't know exactly. I have a terrible sense of time. Yesterday, last week, and five years ago are all pretty much the same day to me. But there's one individual I can think of in particular who I've seen really, really go in with vim and vigor to GMing. And when they started, honestly, it was just freaking awful. Like, I really almost thought about skipping those weeks. Mm-hmm. And now is actually running some pretty decent games. Yeah. And I think really has a bright future as a skilled GM, but just had to get past some phases and fail forward a bit. I mean, you probably know exactly who yeah. I'm talking about. I had the exact same uh, situation when I DM'd way back when I was in middle school as well. There were, like, some really stupid ideas, like a giant badger coming after the party and stuff. And I had to just kind of move that, move past that in order to learn from it and get better. Yeah, having having ideas that sound really cool and then end up being really bad is something that you just have to learn, like, by doing which ones are going to be really bad. Like that time that you decide that a Nazi officer's stats are cool, so you give it a bunch of goblins to control in a game that has nothing to do with World War II. And it sounded really (laughs) cool on paper, and it was not in practice. But I wouldn't have known that until I did it. My big one as a player, Chad and I sat down and planned out a scene between our characters in the very first game I ever played it. And it was going to be so cool. We were going to have this meaningful conversation between the characters. And then in the game, it got to that point, and it came off awkward. And honestly, it felt like a Brodor rice fart. 
<laughs> I don't know what those feel like. I, I, no, it felt like I don't know for everyone else in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it felt like. It okay. just was so awkward, wow. so bad, and you wish you weren't there for it. Yeah. That's no, no. what it was like. I know. Well, yeah. Actually, I don't know terribly what it's like to be on the receiving end of that because usually when we were gaming, the fan was blowing away from me. And I, so I was downwind from all Broder's worst expulsions. All I can think of is that episode of The Simpsons where Homer gets work from home and uh, eventually plugs up the nuclear vent with his own butt. And at the end of the episode, Bart says something effective. Well, for once, Dad's ass stopped the release of deadly gases or something. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, all right. Point being, whether it's from practice, whether it's from catharsis, or whether it's from your ideas may be better than you think. There is a value in failure. There is a value in bad creativity. Obviously, good creativity is the ideal, but life isn't so straightforward as you know in advance whether your ideas are good or bad and they're going to resonate or not because you don't have the lived experiences either of your future self or the people consuming your work. So I think that's where we'll wrap this one up. Uh, I don't think there's anything going to be too exciting in the show notes. I guess one random thing that occurred to me as we were talking about this in terms of not always being able to appreciate the beauty of something because of your own work or how close you are to something. Did you guys catch the story? And I'll link to this in the show notes if I can find it. There was a woman in the NHS or the National Health Services of of England who went into, I don't know, an optometrist or ophthalmologist and was having trouble seeing and thought she needed cataract surgery and all this stuff. And what they came to find out is they'd been checking her eyes and prescribing her contacts and she had just been stacking them in her eye. Oh, no. By, oh, yeah. By the time she went in, I think she had literally 11 contacts in one eye alone. And when they removed those, she was suddenly shocked by how good the world looked. And it's a very kind of disturbing uh, look at things, excuse the pun. But I think it's kind of an illustration of what it's like to be a creative. That sometimes you just have to get something out of your system to appreciate the beauty of the world behind it. And that's one of those stories that if you wrote it, no one would believe it. <laughs> nope, but someone out there was dumb enough to do it. So anyway, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2023. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.